as a business owner, I'm not thinking, oh, I got two more cents in the bank. Oh, this month, you know, you look at the bigger picture and you do what you love and things will happen to you. Things will come to you when you have a passion and you work for that passion and you're not counting every penny and being miserable. Hey everyone, welcome to the Founder Hour podcast. This is Posh, and you're tuning into episode 21 of the Founder Hour podcast. On today's show, we have Betty Porto, who is the co-owner of Porto's. Porto's has been a staple in Los Angeles for generations. Whether it's their potato balls, tres leches cake, and their many delicious pastries, you've experienced the greatness that is Porto's. We sat down with Betty Porto, whose parents left Cuba wanted to escape communism and raise their kids in the United States. Betty talks about how her mother started baking cakes in their kitchen and opening their first store in Glendale. She talks about the success of their family business and its growth, being an immigrant working in the United States, and the impact that Portos has had in the communities that it's been in. Tune in. To know the story of Portos, I think it's important to know your upbringing, you know, where you grew up and how you got to where you are today. So talk to us a little bit about growing up in Cuba. Wow. I can be doing that for a few hours. Let's try. So, yeah, I grew up in Cuba under communism, of course. But I was blessed with incredible parents that um, even though everything was horrible for them, even though my dad was taken to a labor camp, when we decided to leave Cuba in the 1960s, you became the enemy of the state. So he was taken to a labor camp. My mom was fired from her job because they took over the job. It was She was working for a private company. So they found themselves, both of them, no jobs. My dad away, being punished. Uh, and my mother at home with three kids, pulling her hairs, figuring out what she was going to do. Mm-hmm. Even though all that was going on, they still made it possible for us to have a normal childhood. Meaning we didn't know all the stuff that they were going through all the horrible conditions where my father was staying, all the stuff mm-hmm. that he had to put up with, mm-hmm. you know. When they would say, yeah, you don't do that, you're never going to see the USA. Mm-hmm. So they went through a lot. We were kids, so my parents shelter us. So I grew up in a normal family and on the streets. In Cuba, you grew up on the streets, mm-hmm. riding bikes, riding, you know, always with your friends, leaving the house early, coming back super late. Mm-hmm. And... um I was the oldest, so my brother and my sister knew even less about what was going on because parents didn't want to tell the kids because they were afraid there would be repercussions. Mm -hmm. I knew we were leaving, but in my mind, this was far away, and I thought I never was going to leave. So it was this whole idea about leaving, but it took us almost eight years to get out. Wow. Wow. So Betty, I'm curious. I think a lot of our listeners have heard the word communist, or they kind of understand what it means to, you know, live in a communist regime. But why don't you tell us firsthand, as someone who lived there, what it was like and, you know, what the conditions were like. Well, I remember my parents always telling me not to tell people we were leaving the country. Because the moment you, somebody found out you were leaving the country, you were the enemy of the state, Mm -hmm. there might be people egging your house or looking you at a different way. We were, we lived in a neighborhood with really good friends that would never telling us, but they were they, they would sometimes get mobs of people mm-hmm. together to go egg people's house or mm-hmm. do things like that that our neighbors would not do. Um, brainwashing, now that I think about it, mm-hmm. I remember my English classes, or my, I'm sorry, my Spanish classes were like, Castro is the father of all Cuban children. The United States is the enemy of the, of the Cuban children. Mm-hmm. And that's what literature was. And really? Yeah, literature was, we didn't get any history except the history of the Cuban Revolution. So we grew up not really knowing what the rest of the world was going. I remember going to our neighbor's house when uh, when Russia invaded Czechoslovakia. Mm-hmm. And that was like a huge deal. And I remember them talking and saying, that this is the beginning of the end for these people. I also remember people disappearing. 
I remember my godfather who disappeared because we were leaving the country illegally in a boat and they found out about it. And he was taken away. He just disappeared for three or four months. You never knew where they took him. Mm. They would torture them. He never talked. So, you know, otherwise we, my father and all my family would have gone to jail. But we were going to leave illegally. And the people that they were, were going to go out with, they left with our money. But you know what happened to them? They all died. The ocean took them away to the Gulf of Mexico. You know, from here, from Cuba to Florida, it's nothing. Mm -hmm. But the Gulf Stream usually takes people away, and they all die on the boat. So we were lucky that we didn't go that way. We finally came legally, but it took us a long time. And my mother, in order to survive, this was when Portos begins. Yeah. In her kitchen, she goes back to her grandmother's recipes to start cooking illegally, meaning making cakes. This is in, in Cuba before you, in Cuba. you came here. That's how we survived. Mm. My dad went to labor camp. He made 180 bucks. He went to eight dollars. My mother was oh. a professional with a degree, made 200, 280. She went to zero. So she has to survive because the government doesn't care about us, because we're not welcome there. And she starts making cakes at home, and little by little, word gets around the neighbors that she's making cakes at home, and she does an incredible job. And so people had to bring the materials to you because hmm. everything was rationed. And when you say illegal, you meant, you, are you talking about how Cuba didn't allow you to have a there run of business? No, in communism, you're not allowed to have a business. Yeah. The, everything belongs to the government. So private enterprises that exist. And if they caught you doing that, 25 years in jail. Wow. If you, they caught you transporting meat hmm. because you kill a cattle, 25 years in jail because the cattle, everything, they intervened everything, mm -hmm. and they took it away from people. So everything belonged to the government. Nobody was able to keep their farms or their homes or whatever. And uh, so it was illegal, and 25, 25 years in jail was a penalty for what she was doing. But it was either that or we start to death. So again, we had really good neighbors. And if the secret police was coming to raid my house, we knew from my neighbors. And to the backyard, we threw away. We gave them whatever little equipment little big shit that my mother had and mm -hmm. a little equipment that she had, she gave it to them. And, and they would just hold it for you. And then and when they left, yeah. everything went back. <laughs> and she would get, um, again, people would bring the stuff. It would take weeks for people to gather. Mm -hmm. Families would get together for a wedding cake because you only got like four eggs a month. So imagine that. Yeah. Everything was rationed. So, and then she bought things in the black market, meaning everybody stole from the government. Mm -hmm. So the butcher kept some meat, kept eggs. So she bought things in the black market, and at the end, money, money, <clears throat> money had no value. So she would make a cake, and they would pay her with chickens, meat, mm. beans, rice. So it's more like a barter system. Mm, exactly. Mm. So Betty, how old are you during this time, and at what point does well, the Porto family decide to leave Cuba? Oh, we decide to leave Cuba right away. What year is this? Castro comes 1959. Okay. Then around 60, 62, that's when he says, I'm a communist, I'm a Marxist, and you can leave, you either with me or against me. Right away, we said, We're we don't want to be here, we're out. Who stayed? The people who couldn't afford to leave. Oh. To leave because they didn't have anybody mm -hmm. to bring, to send the money, because you needed money to get out. Yeah. So they were called Freedom Flights. He opened them around 1960. By 63, 64, he closed them because the island was being bled. He lost all the middle class, doctors, lawyers, teachers. Mm -hmm. So he closed it. But it took to 1972 for all the people to leave the island. We waited until 1971. And we left. We were lucky to leave. And you came to L.A. or Florida? No, Miami to the airport. We knew there were no jobs in Miami. And we have family waiting for us here. Immigrants have a tendency to tell each other, come here, mm -hmm, right. there's work. So we had a network of friends and families waiting, people that knew of my mother work. And the moment she landed, she went about the business of retweaking all her recipes. And a month later, she was already getting people to come to the house, ordering cakes and things. And she started doing that right away, made it impossible to get a job because everywhere she went, she made it, she made it at a point to fail 
Because mm. my dad wanted her to get insurance, this and that, and she just didn't want to do it. She wanted to be self-employed. How did people find out about her? Word of mouth. First, it was only immigrants. Yeah. Oh, so they knew her from... Yeah, people from our town that were waiting for us. Word of mouth, our friends and family. Mm-hmm. Pretty soon they're telling, you know, the USA is... You have extended friends and families. Mm-hmm. Right. So pretty soon the Cubans are telling the Mexicans and they're telling the Filipinos. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so all the people that were living in the area at the time were coming to my house. We lived in several Lake and Sunset, Mexican Salvadorians. Word of mouth. There's a lady that makes these awesome cakes and they're way cheaper than the markets and mm-hmm. way better. What was she making at the time? Uh, Cuban cakes, mm-hmm. which is a sponge cake mm-hmm. soaked with like a rum, mm-hmm. meringue icing. Sounds she great. made she made the potato balls with beef, mm-hmm. which are the iconic items that pe- right. pe- people engage. Yeah. She made the ham croquettes, the meat pies, the guava pies. She made the Cuban style chicken salad. I'm already getting hungry. She made the tamales. So she was doing this at home, wow. besides the cakes, the quinceanera cakes. And she said that she would not be finished with one cake, and she was already thinking and then to the next cake, that she was going to make it bigger, more beautiful. So my mother it was always a passion mm-hmm. for what she did. She was never thinking of how much money. The first thing was she did what she knew how, what she loved to do. And she comes from a family of women that were in business, so her mother and her aunts in Cuba in the 1940s had little mom and pop business. Yeah. Business was in her blood. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. her passion for baking cakes and cooking is what I think made her want to do this. And did she know how business worked in, in America? Well, remember, she had an education Yeah. before Castro. Mm-hmm. So when she was fired, she was running a small company. Mm-hmm. Here's a woman... 25 years old, she has a company of 12 mm-hmm. guys that are distributing coffee. She's in the office. She's the CEO, meaning 12 guys, but she does the payroll. Yeah. She does the order taking. She does the dispatching. She's a one-woman show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She started to be a teacher, but she got into the job. So she's, she was excellent with numbers. Mm-hmm. So before she went to open her first mom and pop, she had done it at the house out of five years. She knew books. She had books. She knew what the rent that she could pay. She knew she needed an architect. She knew she, she needed an engineer. So she was an educated woman. Yeah. And I think education gets you places no matter what language you speak. Of course. Because you know how to get things. And the fact that she ran an office and she knew what, you know, what had to come in for her to be able to... to so she built a clientele. So when she opened... Right. Her first place, she had a business plan without knowing what a business plan is. Mm-hmm. She had one in place, mm-hmm. meaning she could pay the rent from day one. From day one, most business go out of business 90% mm-hmm. within the first year because they don't have income. She had income saved. She knew what the rent she was able to pay. And she was very thrifty and she knew that if you want to develop a business, you save the money and you put it back into the business. We were living very simple lives, rented apartment. Every penny that she made didn't go to buying us new cars. It went back into the business because immigrants want to grow their business and they're afraid to lose everything. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're not so easy to to lose their money and to splurge the money. Right. They are very tight with it. And she was tied with that money and she just put it back into the business. So at, at this time, you're obviously of age to help her with... We're, we're in high school when she first started. So So um, what were you doing at the time? How are you helping out? My brothers, my sister and I, I graduated. They were in high school. We came to the mom and pop, Sunset and Silver Lake. We did dishes. <laughs> we fought not to do them, but she made a list for us. <laughs> we would take turns. We would bargain about who's doing what. And then at 3 o'clock when, when we came from school to do all this, she would go to the market, buy stuff, cook in the bakery. So we had dinner there. So, of course, when she left, we had to be selling. But we have friends that came, so we have fun. We give stuff away from free. My brother was supposed to be watching the ovens. He burned stuff. <laughs> when she came back, she never knew yeah. all the stuff that we were doing because we were kids. Yeah. And at the end of the day, the responsibility was hers. And my dad, who was working now at Pandy Camps, Mm-hmm. which was a bakery to a wholesaler. Yeah. And when he came, after he left that, he came to help us. 
So they were in charge. We helped by doing dishes and little things. Little by little, my brother became a baker. And my sister and I learned how to become cake makers from watching her. Mm -hmm. And even though we were going to school, and we all, all end up with degrees, we'll graduate. I have a master's from UCLA. Mm -hmm. I was going to go to law school. My brother's an economic major. My sister's an accounting major. We, we never left the bakery. So even though we were going to school, we came to work every day. Mm -hmm. And as we got older, we, our parents gave them more responsibilities. And when we graduated, we came back and we kind of started to look for work. But then we kind of realized we had a gold mine. We were already in Glendale. And we realized my parents were 68 and they didn't have a life. And they had been working since they came from Cuba in their late 30s, early 40s. No vacation, no time off. Yeah. So we needed either to step up to the plate and stay with them or we would have to get rid of it. You, you talk about how when your parents came here, your mom was running the business out of the house. Um, how quickly did it grow out of just the house into your first location? 76 is when we opened the first place. Okay. So f five years. Five years. So five years was at the home? At the home. At the home. And by that time, you know, it was just... Uh, mom and pop. Mom and pop. And, and when we went to Silver Lake and Sunset, she was able to pay the rent. Mom and pop, we work, we learn, we start growing the clientele. And in 1980, we decided to come to Glendale because Glendale was safer at mm -hmm. the time. And now it's, what, the third safest city in the, I think, the country. Yeah, yeah. My dad said, you know, we got to leave... Because Silver Lake and Sunset were getting really bad. Mm -hmm. And now that area has turned too. Yep. Yeah. But so we came to a bigger place in Glendale because we had outgrown the little place. Mm -hmm. Glendale was safer. The mall had come and all the little mom and pops were going out of business. There was a guy from Iran who had a bakery fully equipped, mm -hmm. sold to us for 32000 That's probably what his, 3, biggest, 000, his biggest regret so far in life. 3,000 <laughs> square feet. The streets were broken. He didn't have any foot traffic. But we had a clientele. Five years in the house. You know, four years already in Silver Lake and Sunset. So our clientele was following us mm -hmm. to Glendale. We didn't need the foot traffic that he needed. Right. So what didn't work for him worked for us because we were here in Glendale. And after the streets were fixed, more people started coming. The mall was coming to Glendale. And then two years after we're in Glendale, they decide that the 330 building mm -hmm. is the first building that comes to Glendale. First guys, you know, mm -hmm. we're standing right there. So we're standing in the process of the owner making millions by selling that whole half a block mm -hmm. for developing into this big, you know. So they had to move us two years after being there because we had a lease. Mm -hmm. So the guy that owned it moved us across the street from a $32,000 bakery to a $100,000 bakery mm. because we had a lease left. So you so, were originally across the street yep, from this yep, location. Yep. The 330 building, mm -hmm. which is the first tall building that comes to Glendale. And so now you have a new building. What happens? Employees are coming in. So now it's supply and demand. We jump in the coffee wagon because we have 3,000 new employees across the street and they want to be fed and they so we start making so that was at the time when you expanded your your offer started expanding to meet the demand mm -hmm. of the new employees that were coming so we go from just being mom and pop filling out orders for customers that we knew to then making lunch for employees mm -hmm. selling coffee selling breakfast to them they're across the street from us pretty soon another building comes to glendale and so on, so on. Look at Glendale now. Yeah. And 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 throughout this whole time, like as you introduce new food items to the menu, um, did you want to maintain that like more Cuban inspired like well, at the, sandwiches? At the beginning, you know, mom and pop, my mom only knew how to make that. Yeah. When we start, the big growth is when when we leave school, and we start to stay behind fully, is when we start exploring some other Cuban things like the Cuban sandwich, the pan con lechon. The dinner place come later, but we realize that people are hungry for our food. And whatever we put on a plate, people will eat it because it didn't matter that it was Cuban. It just tasted good. But we are also smart enough to realize that one sandwich is not going to cut it. Mm -hmm. So we go into a pastrami and we make a ham and cheese croissant. Again, it's an answer by us to meet a demand that was 
growing and growing mm-hmm. and to give people food choices. So we start realizing that we have to give people food choices. And now, now we have all kinds of, maybe close to 200 items. Yeah. Now we have a pastry, two pastry chefs and two savory chefs mm-hmm. that their sole job is to come out with new recipes. Yeah. But we try to always, to always use a, a tropical flair. So we make a mango cheesecake. Mm-hmm. To make it different, to be unique, mm-hmm. we make a mango mousse, a piña colada. We use guava in a lot of stuff. Like yeah. right now, we're doing a pulled pork with a guava reduction. Mm. That's that's the barbecue sauce. So always trying to keep it interesting. And we're having seasonal items. But this is now. And this came up, again, because we came into the business. My brother is a very smart, sharp man. Yeah. And he realized there was a gold mine and that people were hungry for our stuff. When did you decide that this was going to be something you're going to be doing full time? Oh, the moment we didn't pursue our careers. So in 1982, when I came in with a master's, that was it. And then it was 80, so my brother was graduating. That moment when we saw that our parents were getting old and they, and they realized that they were making enough money so we didn't have to really pursue our careers and that we had, they realized that we had understood the business and because we had the longest internship in the world mm. and that we had fallen in love with the business and that we were good at it, they realized that they, they accepted the fact that we yeah. wanted to stay. And Betty, throughout this whole time, I mean, kind of hearing from the beginning of, of how Porto started up until that point, it sounded like things were going really well. Like you, like you said, you never had to advertise or you never had to no. go out. You just had, you know, you didn't eat foot traffic. You had people just telling other people and people were just it's, walking it's in. It's word of mouth. Tell us a, about, was there like a challenge that, Throughout that whole time that you no, had to face, you know, we were we've been blessed. You know, when the economy hit and all the real estate went right. to, you know, well yeah. up, up in smoke, people don't realize all the the, the high end restaurants suffered. We got busier because you can come at those time in those days mm-hmm. for twenty dollars and still feed your family of four. So people realize, oh, Portos is an option. They have great food, great prices. So, the high-end restaurants were suffering. We got all these people that were coming in because we were affordable mm-hmm. and our stuff was good. So that was an, a challenge. Uh, that turned out to be, for us, a blessing in disguise. And why do you think that was? I mean, I feel like there are so many people that have, um, let's say, a group of people that really love like something that they make. For example, like if someone makes a great steak or someone makes a great, uh, I don't know, here, like a cheeseburger or something, right. I don't know, um, that they can get people to like really buy into that. Um, why do you think it was, was what was this, the the unique part you would say yeah, about? Of course, like right now you got the foodies. My daughters, our kids are all foodies. Mm-hmm. And you have social media, you have all that. At the beginning, it was just, we are still a family-owned and operated business. We bring a certain value to what we do. And people see the hard work. People see the honesty. They see how hard we work for those prices. We could turn around and, and charge everything a dollar, a dollar fifty, yeah. and we'd still be under. But we work real hard because we respect our people's pocket. We're families that come to us. They understand that. They understand that. We give them the best food. They don't have to go to you know, a fancy store to get chocolate from Belgium because we have it. So we, from the very beginning, have made that connection to people. And so word of mouth is what social media is now. We had tons of followers because if you have a family, it's been proven that you tell 10 people. And those people tend 10 people more. And we have a feel that is different and a different vibe. People feel when they come here, like I get people that tell me, okay, so I'm depressed. I just come to your store and I sit there and I see the, the loudness, the bustle, the hustle, the people hard at work. I'm not longer depressed. Mm-hmm. I see there's hope. I have people that come in with pictures and say, you know what? This was my mother. You made her wedding cake and now you're making my wedding cake. So they want to have the special connection that other people don't have. So we're in the business of creating memories. We're in business of, of a continuation. Other businesses come and go, mm-hmm. but Portos is here to stay. We now have families, like I told you, that we have baptized them. We were there when the mother got pregnant, baby shower. Mm-hmm. So it's, 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 
it's a it has it's a, a very, generational it's it's getting it's to a that very point cool yeah. feeling right to have somebody that made your wedding cake mm -hmm. and millennials like that You know, but it's funny to me because other restaurants, you know, at least for me, I don't like waiting. I don't like waiting for my food. When I go right. somewhere, I'm very hungry. Right. But when I come to Porto's or when many other people come to Porto's, you just see it, whether it's in the early morning or in the late morning or in the afternoon or dinner time, there's always a line. It's always yeah. busy and people still, they still, they, they're still waiting. Yeah. yeah. Why, why do you think that is? I think they feel the love that my mom puts into all her recipes and the fact that we have not changed that. That we continue to carry that legacy and that we respect, that we give them the best and the best price that we work so hard with our employees. Mm -hmm. And we want to have the best employees. We train them so they give the best customer relations possible because we know they're waiting. So I tell my employees, look, you don't have to smile at me. You don't have to be nice to me. If you want to win points with me, please be nice to your customers because, you know, a lot of people don't want to wait. Yeah. And they do wait. They wait 10 minutes, mm -hmm. 12 minutes. And for Mother's Day, they waited more because yeah. everybody's here. But at the same time, keep in mind that you might go to a McDonald's or a fast food place. They only have two employees and you're still waiting mm -hmm. 10 to 12 mm -hmm. minutes. But there's only two people ahead of you. We can do maybe 100 numbers in 10 minutes, 12 minutes. So we work at that and we make, we're always trying to correct all those issues. And we listen to Yelp and to all the stuff that, that they send back to us. I mean... Which you were, by the way, rated as the number, number one, one U.S. 2016. restaurant. And, wow. you know, it's to me, I'm an old person, <laughs> kind of. I'm in my 60s. And when I heard that, I was oh, okay, <laughs> we won. But I had no clue how, how big, big that is, yeah. with the new generation, with the millenniums. Yeah. Yeah. And whenever I give a talk, when I say that, is when I get most applause. Yeah. Which is really, if you think about it, it's, it's silly because before... We were here, we did all the work to get to that right. point, but unless social media recognizes that yeah. these new kids, that's what they it's, want. It's like a validation type it's of a thing. Validation. I think um, what you said is very true in terms of what you're doing here is creating memories and that, you know, Porto's is more than just a, a baker space or a cafe. and that provides, you know, baked goods and sandwiches yes. and food, right? I think people these days, they strive to be number one. Right. That their goal is, I want to be the best restaurant on right. Yelp or I want to have tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of followers on social media. I think what you've done right is you focus more so on the customer and what they want, right. not what you want. I, I, I want. think if you work hard and you're honest and you work, like I said, you work every day hard, how do we improve the, how do we make a better product? Mm -hmm. How do we keep the prices down? If you do that every day, look, customers are super smart. They know. So they come to us for all those reasons. Mm -hmm. And now is when we're trying to, like, you know, have seasonal items, keep people engaged. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So now we are using, you know, our, our social media pages to show beautiful pictures right. and to tell the people, the world, what we do. We just don't do the stuff here. We do all kinds of events with nonprofits, you know, like, and that's really cool. And nobody knew that before. So people don't know that every day when you close your doors, we give everything to the Rescue Union Mission, wow. which is a shelter downtown mm -hmm. that um, has like 400,000 people. 400, uh, they get in 400 people off the streets every night. Mm. And we're part of that breakfast and that dinner. And it makes me very proud to go there and to see, you see your roles being used. Mm -hmm. So we try to get back to the, to also to the community that put us there. So I do a lot of grassroots with schools and it's not easy yeah. because I get 50 emails a day because they can pick up a call, a phone mm -hmm. or an email just like you did mm -hmm. and I'm accessible. And they, you know, it's always all my Betty, the teachers, that, uh, everybody needs help. Yeah. From that, so kind of talking about the, the, the growth, um, you know, from that first, this first location in Glendale, you've opened up a few more locations, a few more on the way. How do you maintain that? Okay. So, you know, when you were expansion? asking me, where was the biggest challenge? Yeah. And we went about the fact that when economy went bad, we mm -hmm, didn't mm -hmm. suffer. I think the biggest challenge for people that are family-owned places is to grow it. Yep. Mm -hmm. So the biggest learning for us took place in Glendale in the 80s when we came on board. And to be prepared to then open Burbank. 
And the reason we opened Burbank, it was very close. It was a baby step. Mm -hmm. We wanted to be able to have our hands in there and be able to be there in 15 minutes. How do we manage a place, a satellite? Maybe it'll spread out the line a little bit. Well, you're not <laughs> there, right? Yeah. Well, that was the whole idea, mm -hmm. to keep people from the valley from coming because this place was too busy. But at the same time, how do you delegate? Mm -hmm. How do you trust managers to do things the way you do it? So we went about the job of finding people, but first of all, dividing the place, dividing the bakery into small areas so they mm -hmm. would become manageable. So the front of the house is one area. The ovens is another area. The decorators is another area. The mousses is another area. The packages is another And all those areas have employees, but they also have leads that answer to supervisors, then then answer to managers. So we divided to conquer before we were able to to send and open, you know, in 2005, 2006, we opened Bourbon. Be before we did that, it was the biggest learning curve for my brother and my sister and I because we needed to trust other people. Mm -hmm. We need to hire the right managers, people that really believe not in corporate America, but in a family on an operating business. And how do you give them a bakery that's broken enough, enough to be manageable? And we learn how to conduct meetings, monthly meetings, quarterly meetings with managers to bring them on board, to, to, for them to understand our passion. And some of them work and some of them didn't. But now, now it's simple. Once you succeed in opening one, the rest is easy. Because you already have a model. Mm -hmm. So all we do is repeat it. We don't repeat the structure of the architecture. We try to keep the wow yeah. factor. The wow factor so people, when they come, like right now, if they go to the Buena Park, they're impressed because that story is the most beautiful one we have built so far. And people love to be there. And we get tourists, three million tourists from wow. that go there during the summer. So once you offer the first one, the challenge, the next one's because you divide the store. And in order to, when you divide it, it's easy to duplicate. Mm -hmm. Now what do we do? We open a new store. Half of the crew that starts is new, already been trained, but a lot of the people are old timers. So the best people in, in every store, the eagles as we call them, go to the new store, teach everybody the ropes, and there'll be eagles in every department, from front of the house to back of the house. Because now we have front of the house and we have back of the house mm -hmm. managers. All that is done, new employees, all employees, once they get taught and they're ready to go solo, then those managers might be going back to different stores. So mm -hmm. right now, mm -hmm. we're going to be open West Covina. Mm -hmm. Managers are already being trained for six months, and we're carrying them. We're paying their salaries, but we have to, mm -hmm. because when that store opens, they'll be ready to rock. Yeah. So we have a bunch of managers right now that are sometimes sent to other places if they need be, and we're training people that are, you know, ovens. We train ovens, we train pastry chefs. All that has been done as we speak to be ready for the West Covina store opening. But you can't just wait. You have to be proactive at mm -hmm. all times. Betty, along this whole process throughout the years, have you always loved being involved or oh were there God. just days that you were no. just like... You know what? My brother, my sister, I, and I, we started working together. But we have found our niche. Mm-hmm. And we each love what we do. What's yours? Okay, so mine is this. I do. I'm like the. F I do a lot of the interviews. I talk to kids that are graduating on a master program. They want to do a paper. I um, do USC. That's where we I went. A business class yeah. there for entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love to go there because I learn something every day mm -hmm. from those kids. Uh, right now we're doing first time. We're going to Santa Monica with Eats. We're doing mm -hmm. an event with them. They're having uh, this this Saturday, the 19th. They're selling food in the Santa Monica hangar, and we're going to be part of that group mm -hmm. so we can you know, hit some of the millenniums in that area because we know that once they taste our food, see, this is the thing about the millennials. They like good food, mm -hmm. and once they like you, they marry you. Yeah. They marry you, and they want to be your... You, you want to be here, they want to bring other people to you because mm -hmm. they fall in love with your, uh, your whole, uh, what you do and, and also with our, what we do with the community, with our social mm -hmm. you know, 
platform. So I love what I do. And that's why if you love what you do, coming to work is like like nothing. And then remember, we're a family and an operator. So me, for me to come to the bakery after 40 years is like going home. Mm-hmm. It's, any bakery is my home. Whether it's when I park Downey, I am home. This is my niche. I know the people. They got my back. I know them all. I know their families. It's this great feeling. Mm-hmm. How many people go to work and uncertain? They don't know what their day lays at. I know where I'm going. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm going to the place that I love to on, go to. On that point, um, I know a lot of s- small businesses and startups often say, or family-owned businesses as well, say, you know, um, we want to stay or keep that family-owned vibe, right? And then at some point when you want to grow... Um, it's it gets tough to hold right. on to that. Do you ever feel like Porto's gotten too big to like it's well, out of your control? That's why one of the things that I do is like I go to all the stores. So like on a given side, the people will come in. They went apart. It's overwhelming how excited they are to meet me or to take pictures with me. So that's my role. I'm I'm there to tell them this is family. Mm-hmm. And if there's an issue with somebody, and I I pick up the phone and I call them. Hey, you know. I know you had an issue. Um, rest assured that we're rest assured that we're on it. And they're like, "You're the owner, mm-hmm. and, and, and you're calling me." I say, "Yeah, so I'm the owner. So who best, who's best qualified to call you right. and to apologize because I really mean it. Mm-hmm. Maybe you had a bad experience today, but I promise you, I'm gonna, you know, fix whatever issue there was or talk to whoever I have to talk to." in our team to make sure that doesn't happen because to me it's personal. Mm-hmm. It hurts. It's personal. So by being there, we're, the, we're all here. Mm-hmm. My sister's here. My brother is in Burbank. I go to all the stores. We don't, we're not sitting in, a, in an office far removed, vacationing for a year. We're here. My brother works six days a week. He say he begins at 8.30. He gets home at 9.30, 10 o'clock. Wow. Six days a week. He's the CEO. He's the brains of the operation. As far as determining where we set up, what we do, he's the one that does all that. He has no life. This is his life. My sister's the one that trains all the people in making wedding cakes and stuff. She works a minimum of 10 to 12 hours a day. And she works five to six, depending on the week. And do you or they have any kids that are also involved? Well, so we have between the three of us, seven children. (laughs) There's already two working full-time. One that's been developed, she's in New York working in a bakery. She just became manager and we wanted to learn over there. Mm-hmm. And then we have other kids that are working somewhere else, trying to find their ways because they have a harder time than we do because mm-hmm. when we we grew in the business, so there was no expectations. We work hand in hand with my parents, hand in hand, shoulder to shoulder with employees. The son of the owners of Portos, when they come in, employees look at them like, they got to be awesome. And so we don't want them to grow here. Yeah. It's really tough mm-hmm. to face, you know, we have 1,200 employees Bro. to face them and to say, you know what? I have your back. I'm here to help you work and I'll do whatever needs to be done. And they have to prove that to them. Mm-hmm. And that takes some doing. I wanna, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Um, kind of going again back to, to you know, your, your mother starting this operation from yes. her home, you know, yes. in Cuba to, yes. to, to where you are now. Yes. That's a big growth, big, you know, and, and you've, you've grown so much and you have all these locations and so many employees and, and I'm sure you're doing well, you know, financially. Uh, how do you maintain that kind of humble side of like, this is still my day to day. I, you know, all the material things. Yeah, things we like didn't that. grow up. I mean, I came here when I was 13, but I grew up in an immigrant family. Remember, so immigrants are different people. Yeah. I mean, I remember people used to make fun of my mother because chicken went on sale on the market, 20 cents a pound. And she would stock the whole refrigerator. And she <laughs> made different versions of chicken. And people would laugh at her, oh, the other Cuban friends. Oh, my God. She didn't care. She fed us every day, three meals a day. And she made it a point of making it so we didn't feel like we were missing out. She learned how to make tacos. Slappy Joe's. So we felt cool, even though we only went, going to McDonald's or Pollo Loco was like going mm-hmm. to a fancy restaurant. That was a special treat for us. So we grew up in a very humble family and we grew up working. 
So in order to get, we got what we got by working with our employees, shoulder to shoulder, you know, hands to hands, working with regular people. So to think that, I think the people that act like that are people that inherit things, that they were never part of the growth. My kids are very humble. Well, also they have feel degrees. like also feel like if if something like kind of going back to like how you didn't really experience too many challenges along the way and like things were just kind of working and it was going well, um, well that you know, all of a sudden when you get this money that you didn't have before you just like but, spend it on but on things but again that, my parents are still immigrants you see my father mm-hmm. fixing a fence I tell him that why don't you buy a, the whole new fence mind your own business because <laughs> he gets pleasure out of fixing things for me is. Again, family is more important than money. Money is something that you use to buy things that you need, but you can't buy your health and you can't buy happiness. You can have a comfortable life, but as a business owner, I'm not thinking, oh, I got two more cents in the bank. Oh, this month, you know, you look at the bigger picture and you do what you love and things will happen to you. Things will come to you when you have a passion and you work for that passion and you're not counting every penny and being miserable Mm. because... You know, today, three cents less came in. Mm -hmm. Look at the bigger picture and just keep working. Have work ethics. Like I told you, we're immigrants. My parents are immigrants. My kids have been raised, our kids, seven kids, were raised by my mom. So they know what an immigrant mentality is. And she would say from the time they were little, I built this bakery for you. This is my legacy. When are you coming Mm -hmm. to become part of it? So it was ingrained into their brain that this was going to be theirs. It was engraved into their brain that there was no choice about going to school. It was not that they were going to school, but which school were they going to? Mm -hmm. So when you grow up, there's certain expectations, and they work with the other employees, like the ones that are working in the kitchen. Their day-to-day life is working with people Mm -hmm. and bringing them up with them. Yeah. You know, bringing them up, um, teaching them development. So there's a a, a certain Mm feel-good about bringing people along in the ride and Having, like right now, we have employees that have retired mm-hmm. from, with us, hardworking people yeah. that started with us. They were also immigrants. And most of them have homes that they're. So they came to work with us. They helped us. We helped them. Nobody was getting sick. Nobody missed work. It, they were all immigrants at the beginning. Betty, I know we've obviously talked about immigrants a lot. And, you know, Patrick yes. and my parents are both also immigrants as well. Mine were from Lebanon and Syria. Patrick's are from Iran. You know, Iran, and you know they moved so, to London, all over the place. So, so you we, grew up, yeah. So we get it. So you know we grew up here. But I think that you know to tie it into a little bit to the modern times. Yes. Um, immigration is a big issue, obviously, right, in the political scheme. And we won't go into the yeah. you know the politics. No, of it. no. But I think that immigration has always been around. Yeah. People now can hear more mm-hmm. because of television, and radio. Yeah. And 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 what I always tell people is, if you travel the world. <laughs> California is not the, the only place. When I went to Spain to where my grandfather was born, mm-hmm. the Spaniards that were working there, the Portuguese are working the land, mm-hmm. and the Spaniards were work, working in Switzerland in the hotels, mm-hmm. Sir Matt. When, you, when I went to Germany, the, the tour guide was a British professor. So immigration is everywhere in Belgium, all over the world. So we don't own the topic. Mm-hmm. I think what it is, people are just zero on it because it makes news mm-hmm. and it sells news. Mm-hmm. And I think the immigrants that are quietly working are still doing their thing. Right. And they don't even understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I really think that, you know, your story is obviously a big inspiration for those that are immigrants because, you know, we've gone to school with, you know, immigrants and obviously us ourselves, we've seen our parents working so much harder Struggle. than those that were given, right? And we understand that, at any given day, it could be taken away and right. don't take things for granted. Right. What's your advice to those, you know, younger folks now that, you know, did grow up in immigrant families or are immigrants oh themselves? God. It makes me so proud. Like, Down is probably the the city that has the largest concentration of yeah. Latinos. And it's crazy because you got more homeowners in Downey than you have in Glendale. Really? And yes. Look at the... Yeah, I trust you. And these are now the kids of immigrants. Mm-hmm. Mexican parents mm-hmm. that work hard like my parents. They went to school, so now you have lawyers. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, next week I have you know, um, graduation Latinos coming from UCLA mm-hmm. to do like a, a get-together at the bakery. These are all young, 
professionals, lawyers, doctors that are, are immigrants' parents, and they're the proof that if you work and you and you do things the right way, come on, don't expect to get a scholarship if you don't work hard in your grades. That's the other thing. Some of the, you know, you remember when they were, all the kids wanted to get a scholarship and they would ask them, why do you want to scholarship? Oh, because I deserve it. Mm -hmm. They should be working. Right. And they should be working hard in school. Why can't they get a job too like we did? So you shouldn't expect things. When things are given to you too easy, it is not good for you. Mm -hmm. the, the best thing for an immigrant and children of immigrants is to keep going to school and keep working because that centers them to realities of what life is about. And whatever challenges they approach, they can overcome it because they know how to support themselves. You know, I'm mm -hmm. not just going to school, my parents are paying for it. No, I have a job and a lot of those kids do better than mm -hmm. the kids that their parents are giving them everything mm -hmm. on a silver platter. Because those kids never work, and they don't know how to work. No. So my, my advice to you is, my God, if you're a kid in school, get get jobs. Don't just graduate with no scholarships. If you get a scholarship, the school will help you to get internship. Do those. Because if you don't do internships, you know nothing. You don't know what you want to do or what you like and what you don't like. We had internship in the bakery, and at the end we decided we love it. So it should be the same. Mm -hmm. If you're going to school, don't you, you know, stop with the complaining and the whining and get to work. Really, me, I went to USC not too long ago mm -hmm. for the Latino alumni. And all these incredible kids are getting scholarships. Sons and daughters of immigrants, farm workers in Central, Central Valley. Another kid that came with no mother, no father, and the parents went to school. One that was an orphan. And they found them, they found mentors, graduated from USC. Now they're mentoring other people's, other kids. It's possible. Did they have it harder? Yes. But at the same time, they went to school with mentors and they grew a conscience. So now they're graduating professionals with jobs. One of them already working in AT&T because these mentors make sure they get jobs. Mm -hmm. And so they're now they're ready to go out there and become successful. And they will mentor other kids later on. So, you know, you got to work hard. And if you don't want to go to school and you're a business person who thinks that you can do it on your own, then work in a bunch of different places. Have two jobs. Work 15, 18 hours. You're young. You can do it. Save money and then you can have your own place. But first, get the knowledge that you do, that you need by working somewhere else, like in the food business. You can learn everything you need to learn on the job. If you're smart, if you have work ethics, we'll promote them mm -hmm. from cleaning floors to pastry chefs. Yeah. Betty, you see a lot of business owners, especially when they start like as a small company and eventually grow, kind of take a step back at a certain point and, and are some more, more so behind the scenes and they let kind of the business run itself. Um, but you're not doing that. I mean, we walked in and we saw you today like just kind of, you know, Well, my job is to make sure people know. This yeah. is us. Exactly. So, this is so, family. so, um, have you ever thought about like at what point you might say retire? I don't know if you want to call it retirement, but it might be like just you know maybe taking a step back and. I hope that I can. Yeah. At some point, when the kids come in, I hope I can just work for free and do the same thing I do for free. Yeah. Uh, you know that I'll I'll have more time to myself to work with other organizations that need volunteering, but always being available for for interviews for. Things that I know that I know that I can do, even even though I'm aging, I still uh, can have people that do marketing and and I can still be the person that does the talking or that can help them without really having to be the brain of the operation. Because really, right now the brain of, of the operation is my brother, and I do mostly the community work. That if I do decide to retire tomorrow, I can continue to do it hmm. because I love to do it. It could be done for free. Do you ever see Portos growing outside of Los Angeles or even California? Well, right now we're in the process of opening West Covina, and then we're going to Northridge. We yes, need, that's close to where yeah, I live. <laughs> we need more, more of the kids to come on board. Yeah. So Because you just think how every day we get a person coming into the, ba the bakery saying, oh, you got to go to Santa Monica. Oh, no, you got to go to the West Side. No, you have to. So we can open in a bakery in every corner. Yeah. And everybody wants one there. I guarantee We have yeah. to look at logistics, concentration of people, access to freeways, things that are super important and people 
don't realize. Are that. you still involved in that process? No, it's my brother who does all of that. Yeah. That's not the part that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. So my brother's the one that decides what we're going to open, what place. He brings the money. He gets involved with the lawyers. He does that. Mm-hmm. My thing is dealing with the customers. The relationships with the, the people. The relationship with the people. Again, I do it because I love it. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, I really don't make any money for the company. Mm-hmm. I give money away. <laughs> Every day I sit on, in, in an office or I, I sit at home and, and, I, and I help people. So basically, I'm getting paid to really give money away. My brother and my sister are getting paid to make money for the company. But I actually think what you're doing is making more money indirectly by having people coming back because they feel like they're a part of Proto's right, and that's family. what I was chosen because they thought that's the best. But I can train somebody right. to do that, somebody in the family to do it. But what my brother does is a lot more difficult. Mm-hmm. You like to, you have to like numbers, yeah, and you have to be an economic yeah. major. You really need to be a business person. Mm-hmm. I don't consider myself a business person. I don't like the business side, the money side. I like more what I do. So I can teach somebody in my family to continue to do that, but. Their role, my brother's role is a lot more crucial when it comes to directions that we're going mm-hmm. and the next step and all those questions that yeah. you've been asking me. And all this growth has been because of him. Yeah. And Betty, I know I have several favorite products here. I mean, I can name at least 10 of them right now. But my favorite, but my utmost favorite is the Tres Leches Cake. Yeah. You know, what would you say is your favorite Well, that's product? one of, as a matter of fact, that's one of our biggest sellers. Yeah. When it cakes in Downey, we sell so many that we can't even keep up with it. That's like amazing that. And the milk and berries, which is a leche filled with mm-hmm. berries. I love um, the Cuban sandwich. I love the roast that's, pork. That's my favorite. I love the custards, the creme brulee, the flans. I love custard. My sister likes chocolates. Mm-hmm. And my brother is obsessed with bread. His passion is bread making and the science of bread and... He doesn't care about cakes. My sister cares about cakes. Yeah. His thing is bread, and he can spend three hours talking about mm-hmm. the science of making bread. Because mm-hmm. bread is very hard to make. Yeah. That's what he's, his first love. He was a bread maker, and he really fell in love with bread. So he continues to educate himself. And when he goes to, go to, uh, goes to buy machinery and all that, he's always thinking about how to make the best bread in the world. I love it. Yeah, he love loves it. bread. Betty, this has been a great conversation. You've built a phenomenal, phenomenal establishment. And, uh, you know, we're really excited to see it continue to grow. And um, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. And just if, you know, if anybody's considering a family business, the cool thing about a family business is you know where you belong, you know where you go, and they got your back. Your family, if you guys get along, if you're having some hard times, you need personal time because of, you having a child or your family, somebody sick in your family. We all always have our, each other's back. Mm-hmm. So that's the cool thing about being in a family yeah. business. Absolutely. Again, if you get along, it's a beautiful, that's the key. It's that's a beautiful the key. place to work. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Thank you. Thanks, Thank Betty. Thank you so much, Betty.